Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Categorically Romance podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Brie. And today we have returning guest Janine Angler. Janine, how are you and how has your 2022 been so far? I'm doing great and I'm so excited to be back. I had so much fun the first time. Um, so as far as 2022 is going, I feel like it's on an upward trend. I think the the beginning of 2022 was kind of rough for me, but I'm feeling good as we get into May, especially as I've wrapped up school and I'm into summer. Oh, excellent. Well, last time we chatted, you shared that you're a middle school teacher. How did the rest of the school year go for you? Like I said, I feel like we ended on a high note. So many things are getting more normal. We're not completely back to normal, but we're able to do gatherings on grade levels, you know, as a school, do things outside like field day, things that we just couldn't do before. So it's feeling more normal, which I think is helping everyone to just feel a little more sense of normalcy. Well, I have a question before Aaron goes into icebreakers. I obviously now with social media, you're able to follow a lot more teachers. They're on Instagram, they're on TikTok and YouTube, stuff like that. And I am seeing a lot of educators leaving or like I have a friend who also who lives in Georgia in mm-hmm. the Atlanta area and I know it's her it, this was her fifth year and this previous year was a new school for her she switched due to just needing a, a change and she's switching again she's like I'm going to the private school sector so I like to capture moments because who knows maybe 20 years from now someone will listen to this <laughs> what advice do you have for the for educators that are finding it hard right now I will be really honest I have found the last two years really hard I just finished up my 23rd year of teaching and I will I would be lying to you if I didn't say there were some times that I really thought about leaving because it was just too much of everything and you felt like even though you were giving 150% it still wasn't enough which is a hard place to feel um, for too long and I think that's where a lot of teachers kind of just threw in the towel. Um, I've also decided to make a school change. So I'm going to be starting at a new school in the fall and I'm super excited about it. And I think, you know, for a lot of teachers, it was a time to reassess and figure out if they wanted to stay where they're at, do they want to change? Um, We've had several teachers leave that have just decided to leave education entirely and go into the business sector. So I think just trying to reassess and focus on the good things that teaching allows, you know, connections with kids, being kind of on that learning journey with them and just focusing on the positive will get you through. Thinking about the pandemic probably won't. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Well, are you ready to get into some icebreakers? Of course. I'm ready. Well, tell us one of your favorite tropes to read in historical romance. I love, well, I always love second chance romance, but I also really like the enemies to lovers one where they're kind of sparring and hate each other from the beginning and how that kind of turns around in the end. So those are probably my favorite two tropes, I would say. Yeah, I I think there's something about enemies to lovers in a historical that you get an element that you don't quite get in contemporary because contemporary, it's more you'd have to say it's like rivals to lovers usually is is what it is. (laughs) But the historical, you can actually have that that full on enemies. Oh, yeah. Especially with, you know, I write the Highlander Highlanders, so it's kind of like you can have them from opposing clans. There's so many things you can do. Yes. What is the title of one historical romance currently on your to-be-read list? I have a ever-teetering pile of to-be-read books because um, <laughs> I still love paperback, so it's really a lot of books. But I would say, I know I have Elizabeth Everett's new one on there, A Perfect Equation. I also have 
Harper St. George's latest one, The Lady Temps and Air, and I can't wait to read those this summer because they're going to be amazing. Yay, summer reading. Summer reading. <laughs> uh, what's one of your favorite historical romance novel covers? I do not know if I actually have a favorite historical romance cover. There's a style of covers that I really love though and I get a little giddy about like if I'm in a thrift store and they have some of the older ones from the 80s, early 90s, they're like the foil covers. Oh, okay. Shimmery oh, and you open them yeah. up and they have like the layout and it's usually like a clutch cover with the heroine heroine in some exotic location. Those are the ones I really love. I have a few of those from my grandmother, but every time I see them I'm like, "Oh, I just can't wait to see what's in. Those are my favorites." I was wondering like, are you a st- step back person. (laughs) Do you love the step backs? I do love the step backs. I only could do it. I think I only had like three or four books. And then I was like, oh, I don't have any more to do for that. Um, (laughs) Because we've moved too many times. And you know, sometimes there's just one too many box of books. But I love that like Harper St. George, she actually lives down the street from me. She has almost a new one like every single Saturday. I'm like, I don't know where you're getting these from. Yeah. She's supposed to have basement full books, but they're amazing. The cover's in them. So I do love to see those. What's a classic historical romance that you think everyone should give a read? I try to think of a new answer for this one, but I always have the same one. I love Jude Devereaux's A Knight in Shining Armor. It was the first one that I read that was a time travel historical romance. So it was partly contemporary and then partly time travel. So... I love that book. I don't know if I I thought of you last week because Faded Mates had her on their podcast as the trailblazer. (laughs) And I was like, I hope Janine is listening to this. I (laughs) I listened to it twice back to back. (laughs) Okay. Well, I need to, I'm going to add that to my list to do this summer. Yeah. I mean, I even had a chance to meet her at a writing conference and I just couldn't do it. I was like a little (laughs) deer in the headlights. I stood off and I just watched her sign book after book and I just couldn't do it. She just listening to it, like I said, I listened to it twice back to back and she is a tough woman. So I think you're going to love it. You have to message me and let me know what you think when you you get around to it. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm going to add it to my list. I can't wait. (laughs) But we'd love to know any of the cool historical details you've learned uh, during your research for writing. There are many. Um, I tend to find them to be rabbit holes and there's always like a rabbit hole for every book where I start looking at one thing. I was uh, doing research for Lovely Digits and I start looking at root cellars and I spent like a whole day finding out information about root cellars because she was a layer of the dead and I had to find a way to sort of keep the bodies from decomposing. So that was a big rabbit hole. Um, The one for this particular book was doing a lot of research on the Reavers that were kind of like they were soldiers that sort of pillaged and robbed people all along the borderlands between uh, England and Scotland. So it just sort of like fell into a rabbit hole on that one. But I think there's a different one for every book where you just start looking up one tiny thing and then a whole day is gone. And you're like, I don't know what I just did. Yeah. So when you stumbled upon like these soldiers, did you already know about them or were you researching them? Like, how does that typically happen for you? Are you like, oh, who is this? And then you're next thing you know, it's like five hours later and you know everything about them. I wish I could say I could ever learn everything about anything in five hours. I wish I wired that way, but it starts with you just looking up maybe even something like as silly as a castle or okay. looking at a map. And then all of a sudden it takes you to a town and then you look up the town and then you look up the history of the town and then all of a sudden you find something you didn't know and 
yeah, that's yeah. usually what goes for wow. me. Well, your next release is The Lost Layered from Her Past, book two in your Falling for a Stewart series, and it's releasing this July. Congratulations. Tell everyone about the book. Thank you. It was... To be honest, I didn't know I was going to write that book until after I wrote the first one in the series, Eloping okay. with the Laird, um, because I didn't, I hadn't envisioned the hero until I wrote that book. And then all of a sudden he like popped into the scene, uh, Garrick McLean. And, and then I was like, okay, well, now, now he's going to have a book. Then he came up and the book itself is just all about his struggle of coming back to basically a life that he had perceived for himself and it being just completely in shambles. He leaves for a year. He leaves Brenna, who they've had a relationship at the end of book one. He leaves her to try to go rescue his sister from the borderlands. He's unsuccessful. So he comes back kind of broken, but he thinks, okay, I'm going to try to pick off or pick up where I left off. But when he returns, he realizes that Brenna has kind of moved on without him and is engaged to another man. So it's oh, sort of like his, his, uh, it's sort of dumpster, dumpster fire from like the first chapter and then it just gets worse, but it gets better in the end, I promise. But it's, it's kind of a mess at the beginning of the first chapter between the two of them. Yeah, I'm intrigued. I'm very intrigued. I know. <laughs> but last time you were on the podcast, you shared that an opening scene tends to come to you first and you begin writing from there. Was that the case for the lost Laird from her past? Yes. It tended to, like, I just had a scene of him coming back on horseback was late at night he's alone he's sort of coming up a hillside and then all of a sudden he sees fire he smells the smoke and that's sort of like the first part of that book as it came to me was that first scene I always tend to get that first scene and then go from there but the rest of it comes completely out of order which is not great but I have an amazing editor so that helps a lot <laughs> yeah well I was wondering I was like okay she had some darkness in the previous book I'm like I bet this is the dark scene from Janine that <laughs> we've kind of come to expect so <laughs> yeah I tend to just I don't know that particular scene for me I couldn't move past I thought well I could start a little later but it just didn't work out as I continued into the book so mm -hmm. we kept it well we know you are a lover of mysteries and we're excited that Lady Brenna Stewart and Lord and Laird Garrick McLean's romance has that mystery in it because there is the fire and he's he's trying to help her figure out like who is after her so we have we know you have a word count right so with writing an historical for Mills and Boone how are you balancing bringing the historical period to life writing the romance and including your love of mystery all within 75,000 words I'm pretty clumsy at it to be really honest I tend to have too much mystery in my first draft okay so I have to go back and shave a lot of it out um, and usually Charlotte will kind of give me some guidance on that if there's too much mystery in one part or if I've kind of pushed the romance to the background she'll help me pull it back up to the to the front so I usually have to trim a lot of it out um, I probably should stop doing that I just don't know how at this point it always seems to be a little mystery subplot in there but one day I might just try it without see what happens mm -hmm. see if I can even do it it would be hard it would be hard just because there's always something that I want to include in there in mysteries and that's sort of what I love anyway and naturally gravitate to Mm -hmm. but I should try it just for fun just to see 
see if I can do it. Well, what inspired the choice to have the romance be a second chance romance between these two? I think I had left the end of their, like at the end of Eloping with the Laird, I'd left their relationship between Garrick and Brenna a little too like neat and tidy. They were happy. You could kind of imagine them getting married and it being sort of like a happily ever after. So I felt like I couldn't start their book with that neat of a storyline. Mm-hmm. I may have gone a little extreme and I made it really bad, um, but I felt like I had to give them something that they could work themselves back to each other since okay. they were so connected at the beginning of, or I'm sorry, the end of the first book. How, how do you balance that? Because as an aspiring author, I, I have trouble being mean to my characters. So how how do you find the uh, the ability to to not just make everything neat and tidy to have have that mess in there? I it took me a while, but I figured out the messier I make it, the more real the characters are because life is really messy. So if it if that makes sense, um, and I find that if I'm not at some point crying as I'm writing some part of the book that I have not made it messy enough. But I feel like it has to, like if it's not a little bit messy, I don't know if it's really believable because it, you know, it does have to be, you want it to be romantic and have a happily ever after, but you also want it to be real enough that you believe that those characters are who they are. They always just say, whatever's happened to them, pick one thing that can make it worse and then pick one more. Oh man. That's sort of the advice okay. I've always learned. Like however bad it is, pick a couple more things to make it really bad for them. And then when they're redeemed, it feels that much better. It feels so. better. Yeah. Well, from what we could see online, you have another release that'll be coming out. It says like January or February of 2023. I'm assuming with like the Harlequin website the month early. So is there anything you can share with us about what's coming up next from you? Book three. Um, so it's going to be the last one in the Falling for the Stewart series. And I find that I'm dragging my feet and finishing it because I hate to be done with books. I always mm-hmm. do that. Um And this is going to be the last one in that particular series. So it's going to follow the story of Ewan, the brother of the three siblings. And he's now Laird and he's really struggling with trying to figure it out. You know, he's kind of been under his father's thumb for so long that he can't quite get his sea legs and how to make everything work out and to be taken seriously. So he thinks that if he can find a bride, get married, have an heir, then things will kind of stabilize and there won't be this infighting for power sort of underneath him that's happening. But he's also desperately afraid to get married because he sort of loved and lost early on and it didn't go well. So he ends up finding Katrina Gordon literally in the market square in Edinburgh and decides to have her as a bride. So it's a marriage of convenience story. I mean, as you do. So with this being the last book, have you already started thinking, okay, what am I going to do next? Like, you know, like another series, like, or are you just trying to get through this one and then you'll figure it out once it's out? Well, as you know, I'm a very messy writer. I'm never writing one book at a time, which would be probably the obvious, more linear choice. But I'm usually always doing like two or three little books that are kind of always 
percolating. So the next one I'm thinking about doing is actually a follow-up to Lovely Digits um, with Syl, her younger sister. So it would be yes. a straight-up Victorian mystery. So I have a, I'm having an itch to finish that one. And then I'm hoping after I do that, I'll be able to think about what new series I'd like to try to propose to Harlequin. I'm not sure if I'm going to even do any more Highlanders. I know not sure. Okay. <laughs> but I might do something else. I don't know. I wish I had more of a plan. Like people that have writing plans and they know what they're going to do and they're able to plot things. I'm just so mesmerized by it because I just can't do it. Um, so I'm just amazed by people that do. Yes. Please go back to lovely digits. You do mention, you talked about it last time and I was like, I need to ask her where this other book is because she did mention it when we were on the podcast the last time. It is about half done sort of meandering um, the problem I'm having with that book is I've already killed off too many people, okay, which yeah. <laughs> is sort of a, it's a problem you don't have in the Harlequins. I will say that. <laughs> so <laughs> I need to find a way to maybe rewrite a little bit of that because I've already killed off too many characters. I'm only yeah. halfway through the book and I'm like, okay, I gotta stop that. <laughs> so I just need to reevaluate that, pull back a few chapters and then see if we can get that one maybe done over the summer. Well, we're very excited for that one. I am too, especially if I can figure out who the killer is. I never can. I don't usually know who the like really bad guy is until I actually finish the book. Wow. I find that so fascinating when, you know, mystery and cozy writers say that. That is, I, I don't know who did it um, until <laughs> until we get there. And I'm yeah. Like, how, how, how do you even do that? <laughs> I know it doesn't, it does not make logical sense. It's sort of like I, you know, when I do synopses, I feel like I'm just sort of making things up because you have to do a synopsis before you propose any books to, to get them on contract. I'm always like, well, I haven't written it yet, but I think this is what might happen. And so it's just part of the process. I think some people know when they can plot I have never been a plotter. I like understand intellectually how plotting works for those people. I just can't do it. I don't know yet. It's like the, yeah. if the story isn't there yet, it's not there yet. Um, so I'm just a, a panster through and through. It's a, it's interesting to me because like I can imagine with both romance and mystery, you know, like you said, you have to send in something. The publisher wants to know, okay, what is this book going to be about? And I mean, like with both romance and mystery, you kind of know, like you know in a romance there's going to be a happy ever after so it's kind of you know it's kind of easy to put a plot together and I can assume that that's the same for the mystery somebody's gonna die and somebody's gonna solve it but part of the fun is as the writer you can go into it thinking okay the maid did it but then the more you get into the story you're like no I don't want her to do it it doesn't make sense for her to do it it was the butler you know like it could take you by surprise and that's I find that really interesting because it sounds like the more that you're like actually in the thick of writing the story, you're like, no, it doesn't make sense for this person to do it. You know, it has to be someone else. And it's like you plot it, but then you have to peel back a little bit on the plotting, I guess. Yes. I I feel like a lot of times you, when I do it anyway, I have to get all the way to the end. And then when I go back, I think I've told you this before too, I tend to edit backwards. So I edit from like the end of the book forward. Yeah. So when I do that, I can kind of go back through and wipe out the things that either are not helping the story because I've changed so many things at the end or it helps me find holes so I can go back in and plug in things that make more sense now that I know how it's going to end. Mm -hmm. Does having your 
you know, ha- being passionate about writing both, like romance and mystery, romance and mystery together. Does that fuel anything for you creatively? Do you mean writing the different stories? Yeah, feel- yeah. Just to like, you know, here you are, this incredible historical romance author, but, you know, when you have like your summer vacation, it's like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to finish a book for this, which is my passion for mysteries. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it does fill my cup in a different way. Um, Because as you know, I'm pretty much obsessed with anything BBC or Masterpiece. I want to watch them all the time. Um, So yes, it sort of fills my cup in a different way than just writing straight romance does. So I feel like doing both helps me to be a better writer overall. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Well, are you ready for some round out questions? I am ready. All right. You decide you want to take out for dinner tonight. Where do you order from and what's your order? This is probably going to be a disappointing answer for people that think I'm fancy. Um, But I love burger and fries. That's like my go-to meal. Always makes me happy. I love Five Guys, which is probably, I don't know how many calories in a burger and fries, but that is what I would get. I would get a bacon cheeseburger, some fries, and be happy as a clown. Yeah, that's fine. You're speaking my language. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, what has been one gift you're happy you've treated yourself to this year? I got a new laptop and that was a game changer for my writing. Um, I would also say I have surrendered a lot of things this year, let go of a lot of things that I cannot control that were making me insane. And I feel like that has been a great gift to myself. What was a recent book you purchased? I think Harper St. George's book was the last one I got. Lady Thompson Air. I also got a great audiobook, um, Playing Big. It's really good. It's all about like women in the workforce. So I'm loving that one too. Um, So yeah, I tend to buy nonfiction on audiobooks um, and then fiction in print, which may not make any sense, but those are usually my buying habits. Tell us what your first job was. Okay. I don't know if anyone even knows this restaurant anymore, but I, in high school, I was a stovetop in po- at Poe Folks Restaurant, which is now Folks, I think is what it's the new name. I don't even know if there's any more that are still in business, um, but they're in the Southeast. And I worked in the kitchen prepping side dishes and vegetables and soup, fried chicken, biscuits, that is so myself. cool. They let a high schooler do that. That is so cool. <laughs> I don't know if it was, a gr- I, don't, I cannot tell you how many times I burned myself. So I don't know if it was a great like safety choice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I learned a lot and I did that because I was, they wanted me to be a hostess out in the front and I was so introverted. I was like, I cannot do that. I cannot be outside <laughs> reading people, taking yeah. orders. That's too much for me. So they put me back in the kitchen. I think I was the only girl back there except for Maxine who made the biscuits. She like she was the lady that made biscuits. Nobody else made them. You could cook yeah. them, but nobody else made them. So I learned a lot back there, to be honest. And they're still open? I don't know if they're still open. I know the one okay. I that is not open. Okay. okay. Um, I don't even know if the chain is still open. It was called wow. Poe Folks. Now, the last time I saw it, uh, maybe 10 years ago, it was called Folks. But it was sort of like a Crackle Barrel, but not a Crackle Barrel. Okay. But it served okay. a lot of the same types of foods. Yeah. <laughs> what is one of the toughest pieces of advice you've ever received? So is this like toughest good advice I've ever seen or tough or heard? Or it's your show. Worst it can be, advice. Okay. It can be good, bad, writing, life, whatever. Okay. Well, I'll do two pieces of writing advice I received. One was like the worst advice I've ever received, and one will be the best. 
Okay. So the best advice I ever received was I had an agent tell me that the ending of Lovely Digits was too easy. She was like, I, I really feel like you know, you can't have it wrap up this neatly. It feels like you're cheating. And I remember at the time she kind of, that like blew up my brain. And I was like, I don't, I can, what is she talking about? But then I kind of set it aside, thought about it. And I was like, okay, she's right. So the ending that I have now is not the ending I originally had. Mm -hmm. um, so her advice and kind of pushing me to rewrite that was probably the, the best advice I've been given as far as writing goes. Um, the worst advice I've ever gotten, um, which was also a really kind of hit to my ego at the time. I remember I was at a writing conference and I did a pitch to an agent. I had just signed to get Lovely Digits published. So I was really excited about it. I was talking to her about it and talking to her about what I wanted my career to be, blah, blah, blah. And she kind of stopped me cold. And she was like, I really feel like you have already made a huge mistake and you have ruined your career. What? Oh, wow. And I was like, what? You were like me. You could have just like seen that on my face. I was like, what is she talking? So... She told me that she felt like since I had signed with a smaller publisher, Soulmate Publishing, that I love and they're amazing, but she told me because I had signed with them and that I was publishing a small book out of the gate that I had ruined any chances of being successful and having a more like mainstream mass market career wow. as an author. Yeah. I don't and really I understand the logic of that because how many authors started with small presses. I don't know. And here's the thing. She was, I remember I was so excited to talk with her because she was a big time agent. You know, she represented people I knew. And I just remember that I thought like the carpet and flooring had been yanked out from underneath me. And I walked away from that table kind of just like in a stupor. Yeah. Um, but I did not take her advice because she was even saying like, you should go ahead, you should contact this publisher and tell them that you no longer want to have this book published. Like she was telling me to pull the book, not publish it and start over basically yeah. before it even got released. Um, I just thought, what is I? I couldn't fathom it. And so I didn't do it because I really, my gut thought that was crazy. And I was really excited about the book. I thought it was great. I loved my publisher. I love my editor. And, you know, lo and behold, I ignored her advice, had the book published. It won some awards. I mean, I, so I'm thrilled that I ignored that advice. <laughs> Yeah. Wow. Yeah, you heard it weird. here, folks. <laughs> but it was a really tough thing to hear. And I think, you know, part of my worry as now that I'm published is I think I wonder like how many other new writers have similar conversations like that and it just turns them off and we never get to read their books. You know, I think about that's that. That's what sometimes. I was thinking. Yeah, yeah that's exactly yeah. what I was thinking. Is is any somebody at that table would have taken her advice and done that and here we are we probably will never actually see a book by them, you know? I, yes. And I think about that sometimes and I think that, you know, there's probably a lot of good books that have never seen the light of day because an author got discouraged by somebody they pitched to or, you know, some advice that somebody maybe gave very well-meaning and well-intentioned. Like, I firmly believe that agent was not trying to sabotage me. I think she really thought she was telling me good advice. 
but I think my career, I don't even know if I would have a career if I had followed that advice. I might have just given up entirely and just never written another book. So, well, this, it may be this, but knowing what you know now, what advice would you go back and tell yourself at the beginning of your writing career? Hmm, So many things. Um, Tell us everything. I would say, first off, just not to compare yourself, which is impossible, but to just know that like your journey is your own. It's not supposed to be anybody else's. Like you can't miss things that are meant to happen to you. Like I firmly believe that now. If there's things that are meant to happen and be in your path as a writer, you're not going to miss them. They're going to come to you when they're meant to. It's usually just never as soon as you want them to. Because you're kind of in a hurry because you think Mm -hmm. you've got to get a book deal or an agent or, but you really don't, (laughs) you know, and so just maybe just slow down and just enjoy that journey because I really never planned anything past getting a first yes from a publisher. And then once I got a yes, I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do now? Like, I don't, I don't even know what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. <laughs> but um you just get so and it's I don't even think I would have listened to my own advice back then because I was just so tunnel visioned um into just wanting one person to say yes to a book mm-hmm. that I didn't really think anything past that. So Well, lastly, please tell everyone where they can follow you online. I am pretty much everything is like Janine Writes. So I'm either JanineWrites.com, which is my website. I'm also at Janine Writes on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. So that's where you can find me. I'm a little bit better on Facebook or Twitter. Haven't quite mastered Instagram, working on it. Um, But that one's probably the least place where you can find me. Well, we will have links yet again to all the places, listeners, where you can keep up with the wonderful Janine Englert. Thank you for coming back. You have to come back after book three. Just saying. Just saying. I love you guys. Thanks for having me again. It's so much fun. Thank you for coming. And we are so excited for the book. I just, I need this fire scene in my life. I cannot wait. So (laughs) (laughs) I was like, what is Janine doing here? Burning things down. That's what we're doing. Burning (laughs) carriages, okay, with people in them. Well, listeners, make sure you check the show notes. We'll have all the links, like I said, to where you can keep up with Janine and we'll have all the links to all the places where you can get her books and Aaron and I will chat with you in our next episode thank you so much for listening everyone have a good day thank you Bye.